leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. to cost-effectively accelerate the development of new therapies has led to the rise of new business models that seek to provide expertise, capital, and access to professional networks that can help early-stage companies navigate pitfalls and overcome challenges. Zontogeny is a bit of a hybrid in its approach, preferring the term aggregator to accelerator or incubator. We spoke to Chris Garabedian, chairman and CEO of Zontogeny, about the company's approach, what it looks for in the biotechs it backs, and what he's learned from his own experience as a biotech executive that he thinks will benefit others. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. We're going to talk about Zontogeny, ways to accelerate the development of promising new therapies, and how you're hoping to leverage your own industry experience. Let's start with Zontogeny and, and, and a matter of terminology. You describe this as a biotech aggregator rather than an accelerator or an incubator. Why do you use that term? Yeah, well, um, I actually do refer to both uh, an aggregator and an accelerator, but I draw the distinction of incubators. Um, and it's a little bit nuanced, but there are uh, so many uh, incubators, a lot of um, uh, incubators that are launched out of uh, academic centers. Um, there's a lot of uh, seed money going in to support, you know, quote, incubators. And where I draw the distinction is that uh, – there are a lot of incubators that generate new intellectual property. I would describe these as kind of discovery phase, uh, maybe pre-patent uh, filings, uh, and it's really to take a researcher's idea and turn it into something that, that might be translatable. Uh, I think where we're getting involved is we like to see a product that has been identified uh, as a lead, ideally, uh, e even better, an optimized lead, and the reason I mention an accelerator or an aggregator is that we're supporting more than one. So it's not a single company. We're actually providing oversight and management to a portfolio of assets or companies. Uh, and an accelerator because we're trying to do it uh, in a more efficient manner uh, and to really focus on that time frame between the preclinical development, IND-enabling work of an identified lead or optimized lead compounds through that clinical proof of concept. And then at that point, 
we feel our job is done. Uh, if we're successful, there will be a lot more optionality around those companies and those assets. Uh, and so that, that's why I drew the distinction that we're not an incubator. I guess you could call us an incubator of companies, but not an incubator of, of technology. And what's the significance to the name? How did you arrive at Zontogeny? Yeah, you know, I was thinking of a name that would describe the stage of development that we're focused on. And that is really from the genesis of a company uh, or from inception to maturity. And by maturity, I mean that it's de-risk. It can actually uh, survive on its own with other investors and you know, other uh, you know, management teams. Uh, and so the term ontogeny is the biology term you may know that describes you know, from inception or genesis of a living organism to maturity. Uh, and, and so I, you know, for branding, uh, you can appreciate, you know, getting a website domain and, and, you know, marketing. I decided to put an X, uh, you know, you can always read more into it. There's an X and Y in the beginning and end for the chromosomes. There's a, uh, you know, a lot of people are going after 10 X, uh, or, or a multiple. So the X can stand for a lot of things, but really it was to, uh, to play off of the word ontogeny, uh, in, in that, that's what we're doing with biotech companies. You talked about yourself being a bit of a, an accelerator and an aggregator. What exactly is the business model? Yeah, um, so, you know, I came into this from my industry background, which was, you know, 25 years uh, working for operating companies. Um, you know, I was in uh, consulting and then Big Pharma. I worked for Abbott Labs Pharmaceutical Products, now AbbVie. But then I really uh, got my formative experience from Gilead and Celgene in, you know, kind of best-in-class or arguably best practices in, in, in biotech. And, and you know, uh, obviously then I uh, had my chance to do it myself as a public company CEO uh, uh, of Sarepta. Uh, and what I kind of learned uh, across that experience was that, the number of biotech companies that are out there trying to get a drug through development, it really numbers in the thousands, right? Um, you know, there are hundreds, you know, probably more than 500 public companies trying to do that, but there are thousands of private and public companies trying to do this. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges is finding management teams with a track record of success who understand that, you know, difficult, right, process of turning a drug into a successful drug development program. Uh, and, you know, it's not always intuitive that a senior executive that has worked 30 years in pharma, you know, understands how to do that in a, in a biotech organization. Uh, and there just haven't been that many successes across biotech where you have, you know, a hundred companies that have gotten a drug approved. So, so I felt that um, harnessing the you know, drug development talent across the portfolio uh, made sense. Uh, the idea that, uh, you know, um, if, if you're really good and you've done this for a, a couple decades or more, then, you know, working on one preclinical asset, moving that into the clinic, doesn't require full-time uh, focus and attention. And so the idea of managing a portfolio of assets and companies uh, and doing that successfully uh, was really where the Zontogeny idea was born. But, but more important than that was I saw a lot of early-stage companies um, uh, 
you know, being over-invested in the early stages, you know, before you get that de-risk proof of concept data. And a lot of times they build out, you know, teams for optics. They, they, they spend a lot of early capital on things that aren't focused on just getting that, you know, that key experiment completed. And so, 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 so that was what I was trying to uh, solve for as well. Does Zontogeny put its own capital in? Does it provide management in exchange for a stake in these companies? Yeah, um, both. Uh, so the, the, the idea was, um, w- w- was really born uh, because when I left Sarepta, I was getting a lot of reach outs from you know, entrepreneurs, scientific founders uh, who had an idea or they had some intellectual property, or they knew of an asset that was sitting on the shelf of their company or their former company. And, you know, really they were looking for credibility. They were looking to uh, um, build out a board of directors or have a, a senior advisor uh, to give this, you know, the first-time CEOs often uh, and didn't have a track record, you know, and weren't the types of, uh, uh, CEOs that were being recruited uh, from, you know, the likes of Third Rock or Atlas or, or, or Arch Ventures, right? And so these were true entrepreneurs that needed a lot of help. And they felt that if they just had um, the right people uh, associated with the company, that it would be much easier for them to walk into a venture firm and, and raise capital. And, and I saw the venture model really evolving to something different, that, that the, the notion of an entrepreneur coming into a conference room with a bunch of VCs around the table and them deciding if they were going to invest in that individual or not uh, was, was no longer the, the typical way that biotechs were being created, right? Uh, they were often uh, uh, working with an academic researcher at a well-known institution, let's say MIT or so, and... Um, you know, uh, you know, licensing that IP and then forming a company with a management team that was in their network. And sometimes they would incubate those within the VC. And, and the idea that, uh, you know, they invited, a, you know, dozens of entrepreneurs into their offices each week was, was just not, you know, the, the, the reality that I was seeing. And so I realized that there was a gap, that there were a lot of entrepreneurs out there who had good ideas, particularly those who had, uh, you know, had gotten grant money uh, or who had identified an asset that had been far enough along that I would call it within 18 months or two years within being in the clinic. Um, and, and the other thing is that a lot of the, the larger venture firms were moving more and more into discovery research, into platforms. Um, and so this was kind of locking out not just the entrepreneurs, but the idea of an, a promising uh, asset or uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, patent a state of a group of analogs that could be, you know, move forward into the clinic. And so it, it was really a convergence of all these gaps that I was seeing. So, so the short summary is, is that um, Zontogeny is providing oversight and management in, in exchange for common uh, founders' equity, typically. Uh, but we also can write seed investments um, and to further de-risk the program. Um, one thing I can't talk much about because we're still – uh, raising, but uh, I partnered with Perceptive Advisors, a 20-year-old uh, life science uh, fund uh, that has a, a $3 billion hedge fund uh, in launching their venture strategy. We went to a first close of the Perceptive Zontogeny Venture Fund in December, uh, uh, and, and so we, we do 
uh, have a mechanism to support these companies beyond the seed round um, and, and once they're ready for um, a healthy Series A. Your team is made up of people with deep experience, but they're experienced as investors while they've worked with life science companies. They're not people, I'd say, have operational or scientific experience within these companies. What was the rationale in putting the team together, and do you have access to specific expertise to fill the gaps your companies may have? Yeah, so um, so the, the current team is, is, is small, uh, and that's partly because the portfolio isn't mature enough to support you know, a, a, a large team of drug developers. So I've been very active. I mean, I will remain actively involved in every portfolio company, um, but we have relied more on consultants, uh, contractors, service providers um, until the portfolio matures. But the, the idea is that we will be hiring what I would call drug development all-stars as part of the Zontogeny team. Uh, uh, Fred Calori spent uh, 20 years at Choate Hall and Stewart, uh, a life science uh, legal practice, uh, where he worked with the likes of, of top-tier funds uh, to support the financing. And I, I do have access to a perceptive team of analysts. Uh, uh, they have about a dozen folks who do uh, you know, some of the best diligence out there in terms of uh, helping us screen and identify and, and that's usually after I do the initial screen, which I was doing at Gilead and Celgene uh, as a, you know, a potential acquirer or licensor of, of these types of technologies. And so we have kind of a, a pretty rigorous system of identifying the right opportunities. And then uh, I will play an active role in helping manage it with that CEO. You know, the other thing from the scientific leadership, uh, each of these companies um, that we work with uh, has uh, the leading scientist or domain expertise for the particular area, you know, that we're working in. Um, that may be the CEO, uh, him or herself. It also may be the academic researcher who has partnered with a business entrepreneur, uh, you know, and, and often they're both affiliated with the company. And I think a lot of accelerators, in part being real estate plays, do you house the companies you work with or are they housed independently? Yeah, well, one of the companies that we're uh, uh, incubating at Zontogeny uh, uh, is uh, just um, uh, secured uh, some of the, the Alexandria kind of lab uh, space in New York um, to do some research. Uh, I have another company that's incubating where they have uh, independent uh, uh, research labs. But um, to be clear, I think, you know, most of what we're going to be involved in um, is going to be far enough along where the bulk of the work is going to be outsourced. Um, and so there's, you know, again, we're, we're not working on true drug discovery where you see a lot of new ventures. They're, they're raising, you know, 50 million or a hundred million dollars and they're, you know, securing a lot of lab space. Um, you know, oftentimes the lab, uh, space that we need is really to do some additional experiments to optimize, you know, the chemistry or optimize the lead product. So, uh, this isn't a, um, uh, lab-intensive business, uh, it, it, you know, once we have the IND candidate identified, all of the IND enabling work is outsourced, all the manufacturing is typically outsourced, um, you know, a lot of the consultants and, and contractors that need specialty expertise are outsourced. So we're really here to make sure we design the program optimally, uh, that we lay out the program both preclinically and clinically, 
in a way to increase the probability of success that this product is going to read out positively in a, in a clinical study. So what's an ideal target for Zontogeny? What do you look for in a company with which you choose to work? Is there a, a sweet spot in which you see Zontogeny playing? Yeah, um, you know, the way we describe it is where we, we, we wouldn't typically fit. And, you know, that's where this model doesn't really lend itself to identifying, you know, the, the, the next CRISPR platform, right? Um, you know, or new technology areas where you need tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to de-risk the platform. Uh, you know, I think of flagship. You know, they invest a lot of money in new platform technologies, right? Um, and so you look at Moderna or you look at Rubius and the amount of capital required to advance that technology and, and de-risk it and get something into the clinic and into patients. Um, I think what we're looking for uh, would, would typically be those modalities that are more easy to characterize from drug-like characteristics, uh, you know, small molecules, um, you, know, uh, you know, antibodies that are differentiated, you know, peptide therapeutics. You know, we do look and, and we, you know, uh, due diligence around genetic technologies, but we have to uh, believe that the technology can really compete and that it is uh, characterized well enough that it's within, uh, we would argue, within two years of being in the clinic. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the other thing is is that we uh, like to be in areas where it's not overly crowded, um, uh, but there's still a lot of unmet needs. So our lead program that we invested in was um, in the Crohn's ulcerative colitis space. It was an oral small molecule. This is Landos um, Biopharma? Against it. Landos Biopharma in a, in a new pathway. Uh, I think you interviewed the, the CEO of Landos on a previous podcast. And, uh, and that's one where, you know, it's still been elusive to get a, a very active oral small molecule that could, you know, um, be a go-to product before you move to uh, the TNF biologics that could uh, approach, meet, or even exceed the activity uh, of, the, of the biologics. And so, you know, that's a good example of one. Uh, the, the immuno-oncology area is very crowded. We still look at about, you know, 40% of the companies that we evaluate are in the oncology or hematologic malignancy area. Uh, and our bar is pretty high on that. We have to be pretty convinced that it's a de-risk target, uh, that it could be differentiated, and we're not uh, too far behind uh, from those that are, um, you know, uh, in the clinic or, or have recently kind of validated a, an approach. Uh, in the clinic. Well, sticking with Landos for a moment, what role is Zontogeny playing there, and, and did you provide capital? Yeah, uh, so uh, this was one that was a precursor before I raised money um, from uh, uh, perceptive advisors to support uh, the Zontogeny business model. And so I had known, uh, I was introduced by a former uh, Selgin colleague of mine uh, to the, the CEO, scientific founder, uh, Joseph Basagana Riera. And uh, we really just started talking. I was providing some in-kind services. I, I was doing a lot of this out of my own pocket. Uh, so if we needed to provide any um, uh, legal support or consulting uh, support uh, beyond, you know, my in-kind services, we were doing that. Uh, you know, we also helped uh, with the formation of the company. It was in a, a previous company that had bioinformatics and nutritional products. So we, we agreed to create a new entity to focus on the, the you know, the drug applications of this target. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, but by the time we got involved, there was already five uh, mouse models of inflammatory bowel that looked 
as good as anything in the literature and, and was good kind of uh, reproduced. These were different types of induced inflammatory bowel uh, disease models. And so we, we felt that there was good concordance. So where we got involved, though, was really in laying out the uh, preclinical program, the clinical strategy, uh, you know, uh, really uh, playing that experienced industry person um, to partner with a really good scientist, but a first-time biotech CEO. Uh, and so I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we raised $10 million in the Series A. And, uh, and that Series A, uh, we were able to do pretty, pretty virtually, pretty efficiently. Um, and, and I'll just rattle off what we were able to accomplish on, on a pretty modest-sized Series A of $10 million. Uh, we did multiple manufacturing runs uh, with the contract manufacturer, GMP grade. Uh, I uh, used consultants to help identify and review the potential manufacturers of, of, of the asset. Uh, we decided to embark on pig studies of uh, to, to, because this was a locally acting drug, so we needed to better understand the dose activity relationship at the local level. Uh, things like, uh, you know, when do we reach a plateau dose? Are we getting through the epithelial wall? Uh, are we getting good concentrations in the colon as well as the ileum or upper, upper intestinal tract? Um, how long does a single dose uh, have an effect at the local level? Uh, we did healthy pigs, and we built on those uh, data to do inflammatory bowel disease pigs to really de-risk this as much as possible to understand if we needed uh, a sustained release formulation or if an immediate release formulation was going to have good enough dose concentrations. So, uh, you know, this was an example of, you know, getting involved in the in, in laying out the strategy to do pig studies to uh, get involved in the in the design of those to basically better understand how this drug's going to work. We did all of the IND enabling work. I was involved in helping Joseph with the regulatory strategy and, and getting involved in the briefing document and the and the, the, the questions that we posed to the FDA. Uh, for example, we shared the phase one SADMAD protocols. Uh, with the FDA. We told them we were going to be doing it in Australia. We didn't want to start it until we had an open IND in the U.S. We got really great meeting minutes from the FDA uh, to proceed and that we had intention to do a phase two study in the U.S. in patients. Um, so we completed those. Uh, we, we, we got the open IND. We completed all the IND enabling work. We now have two open INDs for the asset. Uh, we completed the SADMAD studies in Australia uh, to great success. We also uh, uh, completed long-term animal talks so we could do a maintenance phase going into the phase two study. So on $10 million in about 18 months, we got, I would argue, uh, as good a set of information to help us understand how to develop this optimally in a phase two proof of concept study than you would typically find in that time frame uh, and with that amount of capital deployed. And the other thing I'll add is we had assembled a clinical advisory expert panel that we met with three times over that 18 months to learn from their experiences and working with other companies and learning from their successes and failures to help us shape the right clinical design, the right enriched patient population, the right way to construct the primary and secondary endpoints. So th that just gives you an example of how Zontogeny is bringing that industry expertise and, 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 and my background to bear to make sure that you know, it's not just a passive pool of capital to hope that the CEO, in this case, a first-time CEO uh, of a biotech company, gets it right. And uh, Joseph and I have a great relationship. We've never uh, – uh, it's been very constructive and collaborative. 
and, and he understands what I bring to the table. I understand what he brings to the table as, as, a, as a leading scientist in this area. Given your time at Sarepta, is there any interest in pursuing rare disease opportunities, or are you agnostic to what, what the opportunities are? Yeah, I, 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 I still like the rare disease area. Uh, again, a lot of it has been focused on the newer technologies, viral vector gene therapy, you know, uh, obviously RNA therapeutics, uh, you know, CRISPR increasingly. Uh, and so, again, part of it is uh, that's a very crowded field, so we have to believe that we have an opportunity that's differentiated. Um, and also there are other uh, what I would call accelerators focused in this area. Sidon is an example. Bridge Bio is another example that are focused um, uh, on, on the rare disease space. Uh, a little bit earlier stage and more in the discovery uh, stage, uh, uh, Ethan Perlstein and Perlara, which I think uh, wound down recently. But So we, we do uh, like to compete in those areas. Uh, but I've worked in so many other therapeutic areas, even you know, before I went to Sarepta, that we felt one of the strengths was we could work with a lot of different uh, uh, treatment modalities, a lot of different therapeutic areas, and we're really focused on a product that is is kind of you know uh, ready to embark on that IND and that kind of clinical strategy. Your time at Sarepta did have its controversy both with conflict with the board and, and with the FDA. I'm wondering, do you think those experiences have done anything to allow you to provide greater guidance or insights into the companies you work with? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody uh, learns from all the experiences uh, that they have in their career. And look, I was on you know the, the, the front lines of a lot of emerging trends that we've seen play out uh, successfully uh, with regulatory strategy and with technologies. I mean, you know, when I started at, you know, Sarepta, uh, nobody was giving much credence at all to RNA technologies uh, or, you know, oligos or RNAi, et cetera. And, you know, uh, we, at the time, we were the only public company pursuing Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And you fast forward a few years and there were probably a dozen or so pursuing DMD as a lead strategy as a public company. Uh, today, you know, back then we were one of the first to pursue uh, accelerated approval through CEDAR. Uh, now it's hard to find a rare disease company that's not <laughs> pursuing accelerated approval. And uh, there's been a lot of changes at the FDA, uh, you know, in the hierarchy and at CEDAR and at the division level. And I think that, you know, it wasn't easy to be on the front lines of that and to be the one kind of pushing the envelope. But Absolutely, you learn a lot, um, and uh, you know. But I, I think, from a drug development standpoint, uh, you know, I brought a lot into Sarepta to, you know, uh, uh, take a thirty-year-old failed company that had seven previous attempts, all that failed in clinical studies, uh, and was able to, you know, uh, find a way to use limited capital, limited drug, uh, to do this small, you know, phase two, twelve-patient study you know, which was designed as a placebo-controlled, you know, uh, double-blind, randomized uh, study, uh, uh, you know, and, and it ultimately led to commercial approval. So I think there were a lot of lessons in that. Uh, the idea to work with technologies that, you know, um, I'm choosing from a bigger pool of technologies and that we can fund them the right way from the beginning was one of the drivers to do this. I didn't want to inherit uh, a company that had made a lot of mistakes, had, had a lot of problems, had a legacy of failure, and so th this was one of the motivations for me to get involved, you know, at inception of companies and, and really do it right from, from day one. Chris Garabedian, Chairman and CEO of Zontogeny. Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.
enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.